Welcome back to this week's episode of the State of Recruiting, your weekly Horns 24-7 recruiting podcast. I'm Mike Roach, and I'm joined as always by Hudson Standish. And uh, we are back from a, a week hiatus as I was off on vacation. And Hudson, the unthinkable happened. No commitments while I was on vacation. Yeah, a bit of a rough week while you were out. Um, excited to have you back. I know we got a ton of DMs asking where the state of recruiting and talking Texas were last week. Unfortunately, weren't able to get any substitutions for Mike, so no podcast, which during the season kind of stinks. But apologies, and we're ready to give two good shows. Yeah, um, I I think that uh, we'll just jump right in here with a little bit of uh, a recruiting talk, and then of course we'll we'll get to our picks with Guy Frazier in the second half of the show is even though I was in international waters, here's a little teaser for you. I made a move up the rankings on our picks. So uh, well, that'll be a fun segment. Let's jump right into the uh, recruiting talk. I think the biggest, uh, biggest stories are uh, kind of the guys who are left on the board. We've talked about in a small group. Um, one of those guys, Jelani uh, McDonald uh, out of uh, Waco Connolly, a guy that we both really like it from an athletic perspective. I saw him earlier this year in limited action uh, that Texas really got kind of engaged with in the last couple of weeks, brought him in for a visit, the Iowa state game. They're kind of pitching him on that big linebacker position, big nickel, uh, you know, kind of a, a swifter linebacker. And he's got that type of frame to be able to do that. Uh, talked to him after the Iowa state game, really enjoyed the visit. And then earlier this week, decommitted from, Oklahoma State. Uh, and so I think Texas is kind of positioned well going into the, you know, the second part of his recruitment. Yeah. And I think that this, his decommitment is just formalizing what we were hearing behind the scenes of he's being very receptive to the Texas pitch. And I know that Texas A&M, and I think there are a couple of other schools that are kind of lurking around and they should, he's a clear top 200 prospect in the nation. And somebody that I think we've had our eye on for a while as potential offer. So I don't know. This just formalizes that. And I know that it feels like some Oklahoma state fans are kind of waving the uh, white flag and kind of surrendering him to Texas already, even though uh, Oklahoma state did best Texas on the field, but you know, Mike, they still have to, you know, put the nail in the coffin and finish it and get complete the slightly delayed flip of McDonald. It's, I don't know how you feel if they were able to get Jelani McDonald in the fold, that would be one of the more intriguing and exciting defensive options they have in this class. Yeah. And I think, I mean, let's just talk about his athletic profile. He's a big framed kid, probably around six, one and a half, six, two um, can hold, looks like he can hold some weight in the future and just an incredibly dynamic prospect, a uh, legitimate basketball star at the at the high school level um you know what is it athletically you love so much about him I mean the clear multi-sport athleticism is just evident from the fact that he was the uh 4A triple jump champion last year right like you're not you're not winning that gold medal if you're not an absolute dude add to the fact that you know he's a 20 point plus basketball player and he plays quarterback like he does everything you want a superstar athlete to do if you're an evaluator. And 
his defensive tape is really good too. It's not like he's just playing the offensive side of the ball at the high school level. And he has that, but when he gets to the next level, he's going to have to, you know, get back into the gear of, you know, being a defensive player. We've seen that in the past with uh, guys who are, we talk about their ability, their versatility and how they were on the offensive side. I remember it was something that uh, kind of was talked about with BJ Foster way back in the day, right? Mike of, Yes, he's an incredible running back, but eventually he has to get those safety skills back when he steps on campus. That's not the case with Jelani McDonald. And again, this is looking ahead a little bit, but if he did end up in the Texas class, like when we're doing our next summer ranking show where we rank all the true freshmen, he's going to be really high on my list. I think that he has a chance to contribute like as soon as next season starts in a really intriguing spot. Like they need these hybrid, um, you know, big bodied defenders. One thing I found interesting is when I talked to him right after the offer, it was funny because I went to go see Connolly a couple weeks ago to go see Kobe Black. And I talked to Jelani while I was there and just said, Hey, have you heard anything from Texas? And he said, no, I haven't heard a thing from him. And literally it was like four days later, they were in pretty heavy contact with him at that point. And so uh, it kind of moved quickly uh, from there, but I asked him, you know, because I think Oklahoma State liked him at corner, uh, certainly at defensive back somewhere. And, I, you know, a lot of kids like that, they see themselves in certain positions. They see themselves as, well, I'm a corner. I, I, I don't want to play linebacker. I'm a defensive back. And I asked him kind of what his thoughts were on, you know, how they would use him in that situation. And he was like, yeah, man, linebacker's like where all the action is. So that would be cool. I could do that. Um so having a kid open to that, I think, is important, especially when you're trying to pitch him on a, a certain fit that may not be as conventional as what everybody else is pitching. I think what I would do if, I, if I'm Texas, I would point to like a guy like Harold Perkins and say, we see you as this type of player. This is the role we kind of envisioned for Harold when we were recruiting him. What he's doing at LSU, we think you can do for us. And so... Uh, the next step is to get him on, back on campus for an official visit. Sounds like that will happen. I would guess it's going to be November 12th when they play TCU, as it sounds like a few guys are lining up some visits for those dates, uh, including Derek Hunter, the JUCO defensive lineman, and DeAndre Moore, who just confirmed his, and uh, one other I'm forgetting. But um, it sounds like that's going to be kind of the next big visit weekend. If they can get him in there, really sell him on that fit, the path to playing time, the development, all those things, I think they've got a good shot. Yeah, Mike, it's I, I like that you mentioned the Harold Perkins fit and then also the uh, TCU visit weekend turning into a big one. Like if Texas can – and we'll obviously talk more about the season on Talking Texas, uh, which will release tomorrow. But, you know, if, if Texas can steady the boat, that TCU visit weekend, it does become – it gets a big visit feel again. And if you can have that with important visitors on campus, I think it'll really make a difference. And I don't know, man, I, I, I like the idea with Harold Perkin with selling him on that a lot. Part of me also, obviously Jelani is an incredible athlete, maybe not Harold per Harold Perkins level, because honestly who is, but what you're seeing with how Harold is being used by LSU, um, it's a lot of that hybrid linebacker and edge stuff, which is just really interesting thinking about Jelani too. Like, could he eventually spin down to the level to not be like a traditional edge, but 
being effective as a blitzer in addition to playing in depth and being a coverage athlete. Yeah, I just look at him and, yeah, I don't think he's quite the athlete Harold is. And like you said, who is. But I look at him similar frame, similar type of profile as far as playing offensive and defensive snaps, uh, multi-sport ability. I just think that that's kind of the way I would I would pitch it if I were them. Um, all right, anything else you want to do on Jelani before we move on? I don't think so. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, I'm reading the prep sheet here. Recruit reacts. Uh, what are, uh, I, I'm not sure exactly what we're doing for this segment. This is your, uh, the, the recruits did not react, uh, extremely well to the fact that Texas lost a football game. What, what a shocker. Um, yeah, I mean, basically anytime you lose, especially the way Texas lost where you have a double digit lead and, there's a chance for you to put away the game. Like there was some discontentment amongst the recruits and Mike, obviously you didn't get to um, you didn't get a, your ear wasn't necessarily to the uh, ground on that one because you were, uh, I believe in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico, correct? The Caribbean. Yeah. The Caribbean. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's normal after a loss. I don't think that this doesn't feel anywhere close to what we covered last year during the six or seven game losing streak, whatever it was. But, you know, after a loss, you start to hear some rumors and I don't think anybody's going to make a move, but you know, Jonte cook posted some cryptic stuff. Cedric Baxter is going to be taking a visit to Florida state. There's, there are definitely some things that we're tracking. Um, and as I mean, with Steve Sarkeesian, he, they just have to study the boat and get back on the winning trail. I do think it's indicative of the expectations raising for this team. Last year, there was a lot of benefit of the doubt um, type of stuff. And I do think the way they've played at times early in the year has kind of raised the stakes for them a little bit. And so now there is a more, a little more visceral reaction to those type of losses because people aren't expecting it. And so, you know, in, in many ways, Texas probably needs a bye week just to kind of catch their breath. I think this is like one of the – I'm trying to remember just back on the previous seasons. feels like one of the latest bye weeks they've had uh, in in traditional years. Um, in some ways, they need that bye week. In a, in a lot of other ways, it's like, man, you almost wish you could just get back on the field and get a win this weekend and kind of nullify a lot of that stuff. So uh, I think the good news is for them in those respects, and obviously – it's all relative, but you know, your, your two biggest rivals aren't exactly having the hottest seasons either. Um, so it's not like you're standing kind of alone in that, in that, uh, in, in the losing ways. I think they, they gotta, they need to, obviously they'll spend some time, um, getting out on the road this week, seeing these guys. I, I believe the plan is for Brendan Marion to go see Jonte Cook. That's been the plan for a while, uh, on this week. So, I'm sure that will get calmed down and then, um, you know, we will uh, we'll kind of see where they go from there. But spend the week kind of loving those guys up and then, you know, get back to business and, and close out the season strong. And I think you're, you're in a good spot. So, uh, you know, that's that's kind of the it's kind of all you can do at this point. Mike, before we move on, because I think that's a great way to sum it up uh, before we move on. Can I give you Harold Perkins' uh, snap count by pers- position this year, just because I think it's kind of interesting? Sure. 
82 at edge, 74 in the box as a linebacker, and then 32 snaps as a uh, corner as a slot corner. Yeah, so I mean, he's that's, a, the t- that's the kind of stuff that we're talking about. Yeah, he's he's a guy that we talked about all through his recruitment. You can do so many different things with him, and the. I, uh, kudos to LSU for doing that, for not just being like, you're a linebacker, you know, for being, for saying, you know, we can use you in a lot of different spots. We can use your versatility. And I, you know, I think that that's good for guys to be able to see uh, usage in the, in that way. I think like it takes me, it's not quite as on the same trend versatility wise, but I remember when Jeff Okuda was going through his recruitment, everybody thought he was a safety and he just looked at Jalen Ramsey and was like, I'm basically Jalen Ramsey, so, like, why can't I play corner? He's, um, been, he's <laughs> been fantastic this year for the Lions. Even though the Lions obviously have struggled, he's been uh, amazing. Yeah, and so uh, good to see you from Jeff. Um, all right, uh, let's move on to our next segment here. Um, we're the segment talk- is titled? <laughs> Football. Hudson did the prep sheet, and I am uh, – we sat here and talked before the show, like, oh, we're going to do this, do this, do this. And I'm reading the prep sheet. And I'm like, I don't know what this means. So, yeah, you know, every time that we record past 10 or 11 o'clock, we get into, uh, you know, riffing slash goofy mode. So, no, I was mainly just using that as a tease for talking Texas, which we already did. So um, you had a little bit of a nugget about uh, one of Texas's biggest targets. I'll uh, segue for you to the next uh um, little bullet point we had, but you had a pretty nice nugget on a five star. Yeah, getting back from vacation is always tough because you got to get back in the swing of things. And you've been, especially if you did what I did, and that's really tried to unplug for a week. I think I texted you a couple times just to check in and say, hey, you know, what's going on with this or what's going on with that. But outside of that, really stayed unplugged. So uh, once I got back and got my feet on the ground, I kind of uh, made some calls and just checked in on a few guys and. Talked to a, a source uh, in Arizona who had been pretty kind of bullish on Texas landing Deuce Robinson earlier in the year. And when I talked to him this time, he just told me, yeah, it sounds like that's kind of been fading a little bit. Um, obviously, that's something Texas needs to get him back on campus. We had heard that, you know, maybe that November 12th weekend for him uh, could be his official visit weekend since he didn't get to make the Alabama one. Um, And if they get him on campus, I think it does renew things a little bit and does, you know, give you a little hope. But as of right now, it sounds like Georgia's making a really strong push buzz-wise. I think USC remains in there as well. They've been the longtime favorite for him. Um, I just think hope's kind of fading for Texas a bit there. And another five-star that we've been tracking, um, not an uncommitted player like Deuce Robinson, but Texas will continue to push the gas to the uh, floor with Anthony Hill out of Denton Ryan. Obviously, Texas A&M at three and four and all the stuff off the field, it's an interesting situation. And from the jump, we've reported that Texas is going to recruit Anthony Hill through the whistle. And I think they've been hyper-aggressive in that recruitment, Mike, whether it's Steve Sarkeesian and Jeff Choate showing up to C.H. Collins for um, Hill's games or just staying in constant contact. I think that's probably one of the bigger recruitments still in play, even though Hill chose the Aggies over the Longhorns in his final two over the summer. Um, just th- that's kind of remained constant. We get, still get asked about David Hicks, and I don't, I don't know what else to kind of say at this point. Obviously, 
really incredible player, but it's just, it doesn't seem like much there. That as the same as it's been for the last 12 months or so. There's just never not, I mean, kind of since his recruitment really got going and I've talked about a lot that there were people within, you know, his family and, and close to him saying, Hey, like Texas offers, that's a school he grew up watching. And then it, it just never materialized after that. And one of the weirder uh, recruitments I've ever covered, but it just, it, it, there hasn't been a lot of interest since he kind of jumped onto the scene. So I, I would have a hard time buying anything with with him uh, with uh, David Hicks at this point. And I don't know, maybe uh, I am not as plugged in on that recruitment because again, there just hasn't been a ton there. But even if something happened with AM, wouldn't you have to assume that Oklahoma would be the option instead of Texas? Like, I, I just don't understand why we're getting a ton of questions about that, I guess. Yeah, I don't think Texas was second for him. I don't think they were third for him. Yeah. I don't think they were in the top five for him at the time he made his decision. I mean, the last time David Hicks was on campus was, I think, like a year ago. So what was it the first visit out of COVID or did he visit once after that? I want to say he was there for the Kansas game. I'm pretty sure he was at the Kansas game last year um, because uh, a contingent of Allen guys came. He was there with NATO and uh, Zena and all those kind of guys. So I'm pretty sure – I know he came to a game last fall. I'm 99% sure it was Kansas. But I think that was the last time he came. And so it's just – it's really hard to buy, you know, from that point. Mike, do you want to move on to our final segment before we get into the picks? Yeah, I do know what we're doing here. Uh, we kind of talked about who are the guys we've been most impressed with this year, whether we've you know, seen them in action or just kind of been tracking them throughout the year. Um, how do you want to do this? Do you want to just list all three each, or do you want to kind of go let's, one by one? Let's or? do a draft. Let's do a, let's do a snake draft. Okay. I'll let you have first pick then. Uh, Micah Hudson. Uh, <laughs> easy pick <laughs> um lake belton five star 2024 wide receiver micah hudson i feel like i've said since last year that he's my favorite wide receiver in the state and he just does crazy stuff every week to kind of back that up however you want to put it like whether you, it's a garrett wilson comp or he's like you know a garrett wilson region it just every time I see him play, I'm reminded of, you know, one of the better wide receivers and athletes to come out of the state of Texas in a while. That's what I was going to ask you. Like, do you have a comp for him? I, I wrote, I think, when he had like four offers that he reminded me of Garrett Wilson. And some people even like commented, hey, don't you think this is a little much for a kid who hasn't even completed a sophomore year? But at the same time, like, it's just the body control, the contested catchability, and he has that Garrett Wilson sneaky yards after catchability that kind of flies under the radar when discussing his skill set, but just shows up game by game. Um, I don't know. Did you see the catch from uh, last week? Yeah. Where it was the Odell Beckham. So that's what I was going to say. I think the thing with comps is people think we're we're basically saying he's going to be Garrett Wilson. I think what we look for is traits that are similar to somebody else that we saw. I was going to say, I don't know if it's because that catches in my head, but I see a little Odell in this game. Talk about how high of compliments too. And this is coming from two people who are traditionally pretty conservative when it comes to comping people. Like even though 
we love Dylan Rayola. We were, you know, hesitant to put the Pat Mah- Patrick Mahomes label on him when everybody else was, just because you don't want to be too reactionary. But I, all that Micah Hudson has done this year is just really backed up every claim that he should be a five star and you know top ten overall player in the class of twenty twenty four. Just uh, coming off of an Ohio State visit, by the way, got some great uh, nuggets from a source on that that I'm probably going to post sometime in the near future. Um, okay, I'll go with my first pick then, and I will go with Kobe Black, who I saw earlier in the year. He's the state's top player in 2024. The Wake O'Connelly corner slash uh, running back slash can do it all uh, was probably had the most uh, easily the most dominant performance I've seen in person this year uh, against Springtown when I think he had five touchdowns. Um, and then, uh, yeah, he had four offensive and a pick six. So, uh, pretty good day for him. And just, you know, really, I think I texted Gabe Brooks and was like, Hey, I, I think we made the right call on Kobe being the number one guy. He's, he, uh, he's been incredibly impressive. Um, are we snaking this? Does that mean I get the next one? Yeah. Yeah. This, this, or, this, uh, order that definitely was not predetermined pre-show, uh, we'll, we'll snake it. Okay. I'm going to go Parker Livingston. Um, Lovejoy obviously has one of the more talented wide receiver cores in the state, probably in the country. Um, and there's a lot to love on that group. You know, I think Jackson Lavender's a really fun player. I think that uh, Kyle Parker has put up some in- insane numbers at times this year. But I think Parker Livingston, to me, when you look at height, weight, speed, uh, those types of things, has been really, really good. Uh, really good in the air, contested catches can go deep, can get you the the short game stuff. And he tracks the ball so well. And I think a lot of that's because he's a baseball player, um, a center fielder, and that's kind of what you want out of receivers who know, you know, tracking the ball is is a big thing. I think that that's something that we probably maybe don't value enough in the, in the evaluation world when we're looking at receivers. I think Parker is probably, I don't know if this is, maybe hyperbole, but I think he could be one of the more, if not the most underrated players in the state. He has everything in his tool bag when it comes to being a wide receiver. He has speed, the ability to go up and get it. His route running is phenomenal. He can make plays after the catch. He's great at the first level. Like you don't get a lot of receivers, his height that you can throw screens, be comfortable with them blocking a deep threat. Like he does everything. And I think it was really smart that Texas extended the offer and has started to push because I, I think Parker fits what Brennan Marion wants in that X receiver spot, especially considering that a lot of the other 2024 uh, wide receivers that we're talking about with Micah Hudson and we'll probably mention Draylon Miller, just a guess, but like those guys don't have his, um, you know, height and length. Uh, and I think if you look at like what they were wanting out of Jonah Wilson when he was committed, perfect. Parker Parker Livingston brings you all that. He also has the similar type of athleticism that Jonah Wilson has. He's you know sub twenty three in the two hundred. Doesn't play basketball, but plays uh, baseball. Um, kind of does does a little bit of everything. And um, he's just been really good, man. I, I would say that if you're uh, if you're looking for playoff games this fall. Um, and you want to go see some guys when they, you know, when the when these big time playoff games start coming together, go see Lovejoy. They've got an incredibly talented team, and uh, watching Parker is a ton of fun. Mike, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to steal your whole flow, 
uh, without giving you credit. You were on the money when you mentioned that Jonah Wilson and Parker Livingstone are extremely similar players, but Parker probably has better speed, while Jonah Wilson, I think, has a little bit more explosiveness in his ability to uh, win contested catches. Yeah, and I think Parker is a little more of a uh, polished, polished type of player yeah. uh, at the receiving position. So, um, yeah, he's been uh, he's been really good this year. All right, which, what do you got next? So my next two picks, I'm going to go to the 2025 class, actually. Okay. I saw Davon Mitchell earlier this year was down on the field for warmups. He, I think you mentioned that a source told you at the Texas uh, football camps over the summer that he was one of the freakiest athletes they've ever seen. Yes, that's correct. By the way, do you recall the first time we both saw Davon Mitchell together? I kind of don't, honestly. Do you remember the Next Level Athlete Camp? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. That we went yeah. to, and David Hicks' dad was on a staff at Allen at the time, and he brought, yeah. and he brings this kid in, and I'm like, who is that? And he's like, that's our tight end. And then he starts showing us footage of him dunking. And I was like, oh, man. And uh, he was incredible at that camp. He is really uh, – I'm glad he's come through and, like, put it together on the field because I can't tell you how many times you see, like, freaky, like, video Absolutely. of a kid – or you see them in seven on seven, and then they just don't put it together on the field for whatever reason. Yeah, exactly. Stuff where it's like, oh, yeah, this kid, his nickname's Megatron. He's by far, like, he was by far the best player at our middle school, and then you just don't hear about them for three years or stuff like that. No, Davon Mitchell is legit. I think he has a genuine shot to be that Deuce Robinson-type potential five-star, like the only top, like the only tight end in five-star status. I think that he could go wire to wire as the number one. Mike, oh, hello, Winston. Winston uh, on Zoom, not being bad today. Oh, uh, he's being bad. That's why he's up here. Uh, good point. Um, no, but Mike, normally when I see like Davon Mitchell type athletes, my instinct is almost the same with Jatavian Sanders, right? Where I want to put him on the edge. Yeah, I, I'm with you, but. But, you know, in the case he's answered, Davon has out. answered all questions uh, as Winston gets suplexed to the ground. Um, Davon Mitchell has answered all questions about what position he should be playing this year. What I think is the most impressive thing as a sophomore in high school at Allen is that he really, like, obviously – the the really five-star athletes, they can play out as a wide receiver, and that's not super difficult. He's just as good in line, which I think definitely raises his floor quite a bit. And so that's going to be my uh, second player I've been most impressed with. Just seeing him put it together has been really special. And then if you don't have anything else on Dav- Davon Mitchell, I'm going to go with kind of an off-the-board one for my third pick, somebody who I think deserves some love, and that's Columbus quarterback Adam Schobel the 2025 six foot four 190 pound uh QB out of Columbus has just been tearing it up this year and I think is a legit you know offer candidate for Texas in the 2025 cycle um just really impressive game obviously his dad and uncle uh I believe both uncles actually uh I I don't want to mess up the Schobel family tree regardless all studs at TCU, three of them played in the NFL, and he's kind of the next one. On the season, he's uh, 90 for 120, 1,800 yards, 24 touchdowns, only two picks. 
And that's playing against legit competition too. They just had a barn burner against number two uh, Hitchcock, and they're going. And Columbus is going to be a potential state title contender. Twenty-five QB class is shaping up to actually be pretty dang good. Yeah, I mean it's been uh, the shovels are uh, they're royalty in that part of the state. So anytime you have a shovel, it's a uh, it's a game changer. All right, um, my pick, and I can't believe you let him slide to me. He he he. Because like, is- <laughs> we totally didn't plan any of this. Um, <laughs> so, uh, from from my favorite neck of the woods, Southeast oh, Texas, yeah. uh, the great Draylon Miller, a, a guy that both of us love uh, for sure. Um, he had uh, a particularly outstanding game this year against West Orange Stark uh, in which he totaled Six carries for 155 yards, nine receptions for 215 yards, and five total touchdowns. And I'm looking at his stats right now, according to Max Preps. He's kind of been doing a lot of that. Um, On the year, he has 23 carries. This is according to Max Preps, so take it with a little bit of salt. Um, 23 carries, 311 yards, three touchdowns. (laughs) That is a 13.5 average yards per carry, if you're counting. And then receiving 38 receptions, 975 yards, 14 touchdowns. Um, I mean, just video game numbers, create a player style. And you talk about, so like we've talked about these other guys, multi-sport athlete is a, I, I mean, Hudson, you would know better than I. Legit he, D1 it, basketball prospect. Right. If he wanted to focus on basketball, could go play D1 um that type of athlete and also you know competes in track you and I saw him at their regional track meet uh in the spring so uh just a really fun player and uh a guy that I think is on a Silsby team that we're all pretty bullish on possibly making a state title run I think so and obviously very much biased because Draylon competes in the district that my Liberty Panthers uh compete in but I think it's one of the harder 4A districts in the state. You have Silsby, top five team, Jasper, Hampshire, Finette, and West Orange Stark. At all, at some point of the year, were top 10 uh, programs in 4A D2, according to DCTF. Like, it's not like he's doing it against a bunch of scrubs. He's playing very good competition. And again, against West Orange Stark, which doesn't need much introduction to true recruiting uh, fans, Averaged like 25 yards a, a touch. Like yeah. he, he, he's been absolutely outrageous this year has to be one of the bigger priorities for not just, um, you know, the in-state and uh, out-of-state powers in the region. But like, I know that George is pushing really dang hard for him and uh, ahead of his decision next August, it's going to get really intriguing. As talented as this 2023 receiver class is, I think if you look at, if you're Brennan Marion and you go into this saying, can I get Parker Livingston, Draylon Miller, and Micah Hudson all in one class and what that could do for you, if you could do that, I think would be uh, would be pretty special. And I like that they seem to have identified these guys and are going to stick with them because there are a lot of other intriguing options in this 24 receiver group, right, Mike? Like somebody that I don't think we've even mentioned a ton because they haven't been able to get him involved uh, this year. is like Zion Kearney from Fort Bend Hightower, who after seeing him at state seven on seven, we were pretty convinced would have a Texas offer, but 
I don't know. They seem to like the group that they've evaluated, and I'm all for it, to be completely honest, because those three, which we all mentioned in this, have been really, really good this year. Yeah, and I it, it fails to even mention that Texas sees Hunter Modden, who's already committed as a receiver, even though uh, exactly. his high school does not see him as a receiver. Uh, that's a whole other story. Uh, maybe we can tell at the end of the podcast. I'm trying to, like, kind of uh, – delay here because my internet is working slowly uh for some reason and i wanted to pull up but... okay we're, we're we're going i can help out uh okay i got it i got it i just because you mentioned it i just wanted to see what draylon did to your liberty panthers oh, uh, no. they did hold him to 29 yards on the ground on two carries um i was, I was expecting him to say like five carries no uh, four catches, 123 yards, two touchdowns. Probably wasn't needed a lot that I, night. I was about to say that is the most uh, we don't really need you to win game, unfortunately. Yeah, 63 to six. Uh, I know. I know. Uh, here's one thing I should have mentioned too. I had somebody uh, DM me that was like, "Hey, uh, Hampshire Finette's given Draylon Miller and Silsby just everything that they can handle." Like, you know, and the, Hampshire Finette is a very good team this year. And then I got a text that was like, well, Draylon just caught a touchdown pass and absolutely mossed somebody to uh, give Silsby the lead. And then the very next message was like, well, he just had a game ceiling pick too. So like, he's just doing everything for the Tigers this year. They're a legit uh, state title contender and potential um, foil to Carthage. Who's just running over everybody in 4AD2. Yeah, man, if we can, if we can get a group trip together for a potential Carthage, uh, Silsby game, that'd be, that would be a lot of fun. Um, all right. Uh, I think that'll do it. We'll go on to our next segment with Guy. Are you good with everything? Yeah. I think this is probably the first time in two weeks that, uh, the listeners get to hear from our good friends, the advisors, or yeah. not the advisors, the advertisers. Yes, the advertisers are coming here with an electric ad read. So after the ad read, we will get to our game picks with Guy Frazier. All right, and we are back. We appreciate those ads and uh, all of our terrific sponsors. Uh, uh, Let's bring in our good friend, Guy Frazier. Guy, how's it going? Hanging in there, fellas. What's up? A couple weeks uh, gone by, right? That was a – that sounded like a very tired – Right at the beginning of that sentence. Yeah, yeah. Another That's the voice class, of a man so. who's worried about having to wear a rival T-shirt. Rival T-shirt. Uh, guy, check the standings, my friend. Oh, yeah. I've been, I've been angling for that since week one of the season. Y'all, y'all will eventually see I was right on all that, but that's okay. Well, I hey, look, the way this thing has swung back and forth, it's by no means close to done. But I was thinking this week, like, what is the T-shirt we get, Guy, if he loses? Like, mine's very clear. Your Hudson, yours is very clear. Uh, like, what do we get him a Jesuit shirt? Like, what is... I mentioned uh, three options, I believe. One was Jesuit. One was uh, Lucas Lovejoy. One was J.J. Pierce, I think. Oh, God. I a mean, a JJ Pierce like, would be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, our rival rivals are JJ Pierce, Wiley, and I guess Jesuit, kind of. But I think I had said you'd give me a guy or shirt, just if that's how that ends okay. up going down. Who is knows? Alamo Heights like class solidarity for y'all? Like, yeah. is, is there any sort of a cross town rivalry? Maybe y'all 
matchup and some field hockey or lacrosse action? I think maybe lacrosse, but a lot of those kids play together in the summer. Um, Uncle Chip, Chip Flanagan, who Mike knows, who sits with us at Texas games. He's an Alamo Heights guy, and he actually coached a lot of Highland Park kids growing up. So there's there's a lot of class solidarity there. Um, uh, Geyer or J.J. Pierce? I, I think J.J. Pierce might be funnier, but... I think, I mean, they're they're back in our district after a while in between, uh, like six years or so, because um, they've been different classifications than us. But, um, yeah, I would say Guy is probably more topical, but... <laughs> Can I can I offer something? And again, this is all under the uh, guys that you end up losing. You might storm back and not have to deal with this. If Geyer beats Highland Park in round two, I think it's Geyer. But yeah, if Highland so Park, too. but if Highland Park beats Geyer and you still end up finishing last, I think that it's almost too much of a satisfaction to wear the Geyer shirt. So then. If Highland Park beats Geyer, you have to wear J.J. Pierce or, you know, Jesuit or whoever. Yeah, we'll figure yeah, that out. I, I think the one that would probably give me the most dirty feeling would be wearing a Wiley shirt. If we have any Wiley listeners, that's not a shot at anybody. That's just probably the most hotly contested rival between all of them. But, you know, at the end of the day, everybody hates us. So that you just kind of got to roll with it. Yeah, those poor Scotties. Well, no, no, no. Well, it was me. It's just we recognize that nobody really likes us, and that's okay. That's just you got to get used to that. It comes with territory. And what the official bet I want to say was, you have to wear it on the show, and I believe if it's not a video show, you have to like tweet it out with like a thumbs up emoji or something. Yeah, I, I think you got to own it. I think we need a get like a day at state championships with it. Well, I guess I was about to say it might be in flux at state, right? Yeah, I guess it's, it could be up in the air at State. I guess if it's decided by then, like if somebody's too far out of it, they've got to – although it's it's hard to say they could be too far out of it with that many games at State to pick. Um, you know, I, I do agree that if it's a greater than three game at State or if the math works out to where you are able to use the wheel and, you know, make sure that you're not going to use and just pick the same games as them – you should wear it at the last day of state just to add insult to injury. And I'm including that with the possibility that I might like, I've been in first since the jump. I'm, I have a decent lead, but could you imagine how, how horrible it would be if I had to wear a Liberty Hill shirt after they won like a state <laughs> title or something? Yeah. We, and I'm going to say Hudson, if, if that happens, if something just flips, You've got to get a picture taken with Prowler while wearing the, the shirt. Listen, fair is fair. Um, all right. So uh, hit us with the set with the standings. Guy, you want to take it over from here or you want me to get it? No, uh, you can do the standings like usual and then we can jump okay. into the slate. So I've led since the jump. I'm still in first at 35 and 12. Mike extends a two-game lead over Guy after going 6-0 and last week. We had a bonus game of Alito and Denton Ryan that we all got correct, so we all added a dub. Guy, unfortunately, Lake Travis and Lake Belton lose. Lake Belton in just horrific fashion. I thought we were both on the right side of that game, but a late fumble just kind of torpedoed our chances. You were at 31-16 and on the year. Oh boy! By the way, 
Yeah, so I was sent the pics while I was on a deck of a boat drinking heavily and just fired off answers like immediately. Like, here's my answers. And then I thought about it for a second. And Hudson even said, like, hey, since I'm not going to do the article till like Thursday, you can, you still have time to change. And I sobered up and was like, you know, you could take some time to think about this. So uh, glad I did because I, I think I changed two or three games in there. So what, Mike, so what happened? Uh, Hudson went five and one last week, and Mike went six and zero, oh, and I went four, yep, and two. four and two. Is that how that yep. happened? Okay. Yeah. And I mentioned this on a phone call with Mike, but I kind of got in my head too because Mike and I had the same picks, and I changed late to uh, Mike after he changed picks. Uh, I changed late to Lake Belton. I guy, I really do feel like we were on the right side of that thirty nine to thirty seven. And that's with an uh, injured quarterback too. Right. He got yeah, and I think I can't remember. I want to say he got injured like third or fourth quarter too. So I just that was a little bit of a tough one. But we're on to week ten or week nine. I can't remember. Which. It's week ten. Week ten. Okay. Yeah. Eleven weeks in the regular season. We've got two to go. Things are getting fun. A lot of playoff implications. District titles on the line. Uh, some fun rivalry matchups. It's um. You know, as as down as I've been on the schedule this year overall, a little bit of a flip. Our last time we we were all together, I had mentioned that if I could, I would do a small school schedule with a one big school game because the small school games have been fire. Uh, However, this week it kind of flip-flops back to the big schools having the the dominant slate. A little bit of a sleepy week um, at the small school levels, uh, but – Without further ado, we'll, we'll jump into our five-game slate here. Week 10, uh, we'll start off in the greater Houston area as the number one team in 6A, the Galena Park North Shore Mustangs, who are 8-0, make the short travel over to take on the number seven team in 6A, a familiar foe, the Umbla Tascacita Eagles, who are 7-1 and one themselves. This game 7 p.m. Thursday at Umbles, um, or Umbla SD's Turner Stadium. Uh from the DCTF computer standpoint, North Shore enters this game as a four-point favorite. Uh, the wheel has spoken. I will go first. Mike will go second. And Hudson will go third in the trail. So um, I'll keep this short. I, I don't think I'm going to go against a streak here in that North Shore has had a task to see this number um, the last couple of times they've gone up uh, with each other. In fact, I'd be curious to know if Atascacid has ever beaten North Shore. I, I might be just totally wrong on that, but um, I, I don't know. I, I think once, out. Go ahead. I, no, I was just saying I think once, but it's a good question. During De, Demetrius's uh, first year before he took over, I think they might have gotten him. Okay. But I it's can't remember. Great point, though. Yeah, I mean – for as, as as sexy of a matchup as it is always, you know, every year, uh, North Shore's just ability to be stout and more physical seems to win this game for them. And, uh, you know, Atascacita historically is a team that likes to air it out and put up a lot of points. They play really good defense this year. Um, if you just look in district play, uh, the most they've allowed is, is a touchdown. And it was against Beaumont Westbrook back in the last week of September. Um, they let up a score last week against CE King, but that's about it. Otherwise it's just been shutouts, putting up a lot of points, uh, really stout level of play from them with North shore without Caleb Bailey, things are kind of up in the air at the quarterback position and they're kind of piecemealing it together. 
still really talented on defense, great secondary. You've got guys like David Amador and that family that's just been around the North Shore program for a long time. So with that being said, give me the Mustangs in a close game. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see if Atascacita wins this game, but I'm not going to go against a streak. Um, give me the pride of the East side. Yeah, I'm with Guy on this and that. Like, this is almost – it's like an auto bet for me every year because every year it's like this This Atascacita team is different and uh, the North Shore just kind of reminds them who they are. Now, North Shore not having Caleb Bailey does worry me quite a bit. And there is – maybe it's something in the air after Tennessee ended the streak against Alabama that worries me a little bit, but – it's just, I think North Shore's too team talented. I do think that this is like if if Atascacita is going to do it, this is the year. But I, I'm not going to go against North Shore. Okay, here's here are my thoughts on this. Without Caleb Bailey, obviously North Shore's still able to um, North Shore's still able to overpower. The summer, the humble Summer Creek result, where North Shore beat Summer Creek thirty-four to twenty-seven, has been weighing in my head like pretty heavily over the past couple of weeks. I, I really like that guy mentioned David Amador, who's filled in the majority of quarterback since Bailey's been out. The UTSA wide receiver commit is really dang good. Uh, I like that Ashley Pickle calls him Touchdown Dave. Great nickname. However, this Atascacita team feels different. And uh, yes, I'm saying that as a joke because Mike mentioned it in his previous uh, explanation. But when I watched their uh, result against Katie, I kind of felt like they should have they should have been on top. I'm probably going to regret it, but give me the Eagles. I actually think that they get this done and – send a shockwave through 6A football because, guys, a brief tangent, but I think it's all of, worth all of us kind of chiming in. For a while, it just seemed like it was pure inevitability that North Shore was going to play Westlake again in the semifinals, and we were going to get that matchup. And, yeah, sure, Westlake might have a shot and probably the best shot, but with Caleb Bailey and that thing rolling – North Shore was just a wagon. I'm a bit worried about the Mustangs now without the, you know, maestro that kind of made the, you know, symphony work. Like, they they haven't been as dominant with the Summer Creek result especially um, standing out. And I, I think it's interesting with 6A football. Like, a, a Tascacita win changes the entire narrative heading into the playoffs. Yeah, look, everything lines up for it right now, right? Like, no Caleb Bailey, the game's in on Bull. Um, you know, this is – it does feel like a little bit of a different Atascacita team. I just – I don't know, man. I just I, – I North Shore is one of those teams that they just they, – they seem to figure out ways to get it done no matter how. And it's it's kind of that, you know, Greg Popovich never underestimate the heart of a champion type deal. They've been battle-tested more, I think. I think that was Rudy Tomjanovich. Oh, was it? I thought that was I thought that was a pop thing. My bad. Well, I don't, I don't watch basketball, so you know. I think it is the John K factor, and and I'll leave at this. Like back when we did the Atascacita Katie pick on the show and non district play, I think one of the things that we all said was 
you know, to be the man, you've got to beat the man type deal, which is said a lot in high school football. But that was kind of the thought, and I know I said this. Atascacita to me is one of the better programs in Houston, but it's always been like a tier two program, whereas North Shore and Katie are up there on the throne. And Atascacita seems like they every time they're going to kind of rally and bump onto that, they never quite eclipse it and get over the hill. So wouldn't surprise me if they do it this time, but until they do it, I, I can't really roll with it. So, what a perfect segue into our next game. It is, yes. Um, so 17 Friday. <laughs> the <we're>, mirror image. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. So we'll, we'll travel north uh, to our backyard, the D- greater DFW area, the southern sector, 7 p.m. Friday at Duncanville's Panther Stadium. The number nine team in 6A, the DeSoto Eagles, who are 7-1, and one, will make the short drive over to their neighbors uh, to face off with the number three team in 6A, the Duncanville Panthers, who are a perfect 7-0. and According to the DCTF computer, D- or, uh, Duncanville enters this game as a three-point favorite. The wheel has spoken. Hudson will go first, I'll go second, and Mike is in the trail. Before we get into the pick, I just want to say I love this game. Like, every year, DeSoto-Duncanville is fun. For some reason this year, I'm just extra amped about this game. I don't know if it's because DeSoto looks to be a little bit better and maybe they can actually get them. What's just vibe check from both of y'all? Because I'm really excited. I know that, uh, guy, I know, guy, your feelings on the bravado in general, but Mike, like, are, are you with me? Like, are you are you pretty pumped for this game? Because I, I don't know, for some reason, I'm just jacked. Yeah, I'm covering this game. Um, and so, uh, you know, these are the, it feels like I see DeSoto or Duncanville five, six times a year, every year, you know, and you would think you might get tired of that, but these are the games that everybody kind of comes out for in Dallas. I mean, these are, um, these are the big time games that, that you look forward to all year. And with those two teams being in district, you think about it. It's the same thing as thinking about a task to see North Shore, man, they're eventually going to match up. And the, the schedule makers always seem to make it for like near the end of the year. Uh, always a district title on the line. So yeah, I'm I'm pumped for it. I'll get into my analysis of the uh, game. When you look at both teams' resumes, it's it's pretty similar, other than the fact that Duncanville had a matchup against a Jones team out of Florida that I don't think is anywhere close as the out-of-state team that DeSoto played in St. Francis Academy, who might, correct me if I'm wrong, is like a top-five national program this year. I think they've yeah. been pretty dominant. They've smacked some really good teams, including Leon Fowles' Kahuku team. Exactly. So th- that, to me, is kind of the probably main difference opposed to the fact that Duncanville really handled Cedar Hill and struggled with Waxahachie. And DeSoto eventually pulled away from Cedar Hill 45 to 20, but it was a game for a little bit. And they did the opposite of Duncanville where they just smacked Waxahachie. And that was a game that we had on Pickham and were really kind of torn about. And I believe all three of us picked DeSoto just because um, I think really just their offense and having to prove it. And, you know, everything in me really wants to pick DeSoto and instead of going against my gut and picking the safe option, I think I'm going to do it. I'm backing the Eagles. I think Jonte Cook can have a massive game. 
But the main thing is DeSoto needs to get out there and run. They need to score early, put the pressure on Duncanville to match them score for score. And I don't think they're going to be able to do it. If you look up at halftime and it's like 14 to 10, then Duncanville's probably going to win the game. Like, I think it's all about Claude Mathis and the DeSoto staff just getting that offense up and down the field and making Duncanville Duncanville's offense really match uh, score for score, which I don't think that they've been able to do against, uh, you know, quality opposition this year. Yeah. So the bravado bowl for me, um, I'm actually pretty excited for this game. I, I told Mike earlier this week, it was actually an early selection for me for Friday. And then decided to stick to my word and I'm going to go to another game instead. I, I told the kid I'd, I'd come to, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, well, I think Duncanville's beaten DeSoto four or five times straight. The last couple, I think, for Dallas Morning News and, and all the local media, it's a big game to hype up. I never really bought into some of that and haven't sure. attended it in a couple of years, um, except when they've played each other in the playoffs. But the district stuff, it's just not been for me. Um, but this year, I think it kind of lives up to it. The, the thing that I think always ends up being a difference maker is in the trenches between the two programs, pound for pound, athletic standpoint, and the skill spots. DeSoto typically matches up pretty good with Duncanville. And the trenches, though, Duncanville typically owns that. And that, that's kind of been the separator and the difference maker between the two programs lately. Um, and this is another observation. It's not really a shot at anybody, but I sometimes think Claude Mathis, head coach of DeSoto, gets in his own way a little bit in games like this. Thinks he's got something to prove, and I think Reggie just kind of lets him collapse sometimes. So um, I wonder how that will kind of, you know, it's at Duncanville. There's a lot of emotion in this game, how all that will play out as well. Um, Seeing Duncanville this year, they can win big. They can also win close games like they did against Waxahachie when I saw them in person where guys like Colin Simmons up front on defense are just the difference makers and they make enough plays to throw you off schedule and off rhythm for an offense. And, you know, so it'll be curious to see how DJ Bailey's protected. Can they get the ball to guys like John Tate Cook and get their offense rolling from DeSoto's perspective? I don't think they will enough. I think Duncanville will win this one again through physicality. Uh, their quarterback play has not been anything impressive this year, but it's enough. Um, I like the Durham kid at running back. He's a pretty good player. So I think Duncanville will win this in kind of a street fight fashion again. But I do think the game lives up to it. I think Mike's going to a good one. Um, this is, for me, to me, this plays out the same way as North Shore Atascacita. Like, I do think that this DeSoto team is a little bit different. I think DJ Bailey's playing at as high of a level as any DeSoto quarterback has played in the last few years. And, you know, they do have that tremendous skill talent led by Jonte Cook. I think this is the year they could get them, but one thing that we really haven't discussed in this is um, we're expecting torrential rain uh, Friday night. And if that game is not postponed or something due to lightning and they play it in a rainstorm, I think that that, you know, that favors Zunkenville. Um, it, it grounds DeSoto a little bit. And so I would probably pick Duncanville if it was 72 and sunny, but uh, I, I do think that that plays a factor as well. I just, Duncanville, man, they're another one. Like uh, outside of 
facing North Shore. They just figure out ways to get it done. Um, they haven't had their usual kind of offensive line talent that they've had in the past couple of years. They've had struggles at the quarterback positions with injuries and just not the same quality of player they've had the last couple of years. So, and they've still figured out a way to get it done. They usually do that by playing defense. So I'm going to lean on that. I'll go with Duncanville. Yeah, no, I think Duncanville's D-line and then their secondary is just played at a really high level this year. So a lot to like. All right, before we move on to our next game, let's take our final break of the show and hear from our sponsors once again. All right, thank you to those uh, electric ad reads. Guy Absolutely with- nailed it. Oh, my God. I know. The the crowd is still – we need you guys to quiet down. The, uh, the Thank the- God everybody listened to that. All of our listeners were able to take that in and really digest it. Really we need, good. We need Man. the standing ovation to calm down so we can move on with the show. All right, Guy, what's next on the slate for us? Yeah, so we're going to move yet again to another area of the state. We'll go down to the central Texas region. Pretty good 5A game between two uh, two crosstown rivals. So 7 p.m. Friday at Cougar Field at College Station High School Stadium. We've got the new number 10 team in 5A Division One, the AM Consolidated Tigers, who are 7-1, making the short trip over to face off with their little brothers, the College Station Cougars, who are 6-2. and two. Um and actually, the DCTF computer has College Station as a 14-point favorite going into this game. There's a lot to kind of talk about surrounding that. Uh, and I also believe College Station was the number 10 team in 5A a week ago, so they just kind of flip-flopped on that. Um, but the wheel's spoken. Hudson will go first. I'll go second again, and Mike in the trail. Um. So I think one thing that was kind of interesting to me about this game, I don't think that these two have played in a while. Like – if if I remember correctly, I don't think they've been in the same district for the past, like, uh, four or five years. And it's one of those things to where um, they would rather not play each other in non-district. Almost how uh, Geyer and Ryan, I guess, are again now, but were for a long time. Really intriguing game. I was super excited to see this on the slate. I I think one of the intriguing things is th- these aren't um, some of the teams that we talk about a lot or are super familiar with. So diving into the research on this one was really intriguing. And what I kind of gathered was I think that this is going to be a lot closer than the spread indicates. And I'm going to take the underdog. A&M Consolidated being a 14-point dog – I kind of don't get it other than College Station maybe playing better competition in the non-district. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm rocking with uh, Fedora in the crew. Lee Fedora, the former Navasota State title uh, coach. Yeah, so early in the year, College Station, and it's not their fault, and injury is never your fault, but w- with Marquise Collins going down, that, that kind of burned me in the Lovejoy game um, in the Tom Landry Classic up in Allen. And, and since then, I've kind of kept an eye on that. Um, and then they kind of have the the big head-scratcher loss last week to a, a, a decent Georgetown team, I'd say. I mean, they're 6-2, yeah. 4-1 in district, but a little bit nondescript. You know, no, I mean, there's not a whole lot to write home on them about. But um, it definitely was an intriguing loss. And then you look at the couple of um, results from the couple of weeks before, you know, College Station beats – a down Cedar Park team, 17-0. to zero. So they're kind of playing with their food there. 
And then Leander Glenn, 27-24 in the win. So they're kind of playing with their food in that game with a, a Grizzlies team that's okay, but not great. And so then you look at, at, at Consol and they're trending much more in a positive direction uh, with some younger faces and a team that's moving up from 5A Division two up to 5A D1. So, um, and, and now they're going west, you know, with their district alignment. So a lot of new things for them. And yet they've adapted well. Um, and so I think at this point, and Tep and Step kind of mentioned this on their podcast, you just like the direction of where Consol is going at this point, uh, more so than, than College Station. And maybe that changes over the next couple of weeks. But as of now, that's kind of what it seems to be telling us. Um, and so with that, I'm going to roll with Consol to actually get their first win ever in this rivalry. Um They've played each other four times. I think it's been four years, Hudson, since they've been in the same district okay. um, because one's been D1 and the other one's been D2. It may be six years. It's been a couple of alignments, but they've played each other four times, and it's the rare time where little brother yeah. has completely owned the rivalry. So it's it's 4-0 as of now. Give me console to get their first win. And, and Guy, correct me if I'm wrong, but those were probably those early College Station teams that one of them even won a state title, like really yes. strong College Station programs. And it's one of those interesting rivalries and I guess modern Texas high school football that I love where like A&M Consolidated used to be an old 5A school, right? To where they were the highest classification and opening up College Station kind of sent them down to 5A and uh, maybe stole a little bit of talent as well sure. from the traditional, uh, you know, one-town high school. So it's a super, super interesting rivalry from that sense as well. Um, well, you have to uh, think of it like this for, for years. The landscape was Brian High and A&M Consol. Yeah. And in recent, you know, the past decade, you've had Brian Rutter, and College Station come into the fold. And so that's just kind of changed up the whole mix down there. A&M Consol has actually been really good and uh, been great at the 5AD2 level. You could argue they've kind of fallen short of expectations. There's been a couple times where they've been top five, top three programs ranking-wise, and, yeah, we never see them in Arlington. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of things intriguing here from a history standpoint and geography standpoint. Um, And I'm curious to kind of see what Mike's thoughts are. Yeah, gentlemen, if we're going to go down, we're all going to go down together on this one. Um, I think you mentioned Guy, the head-scratching loss to Georgetown. Consol's got a head-scratcher to Lufkin, to a Lufkin team that certainly has talent but has proven that they're still not to the level of the Lufkin bold. And I, I don't know, just looking at the resumes, I do think if Marquise Collins was in this game, I think it's a very different story. Uh, sure. But he's not, so I'm going to go with Consol. Yeah, and I also think that Nolan Catholic win that CSTAT has is not as good as people think it is. I think Nolan's fine, but I don't think they're as good as they've probably been in years past. Um, yeah, Nolan is down relative to what they usually are. Right. So, and uh, that's not – I mean, with the exception of Parrish, who I think has proven this year that hey, they can go play with some public school teams, some really good public school teams – and you know, beat Alito and almost beat Sock and mm. uh and uh did they have one possession game with China Spring, who yeah. I think we're seeing is probably going to be um a legit state title contender, if not the favorite in four A D one. 
Yeah, so I mean, I think uh, Parrish has proven that they are a private that can do it. I don't think there are any others out there that you should be playing close games with if you're a public school. Yeah, and for the listeners, that was kind of a random drop of mine. College Station Week 2 beat Nolan Catholic 52-7, to so take that for what you want. But um, on to our fourth game. This is one, if I could do it again, I may take this out of the list, but I like it just because it's such a big matchup. And, and we're going to another part of the state. Yeah, another part of the state, state, name brand. It touches a great city, two name brands, name brand rivalry. There's a lot to like. Anyway, we'll see what your, your thoughts are. Um, 7.30 p.m. Friday in the Alamo City at DW Rutledge Stadium uh, in the greater San Antonio area. We've got the number eight team in 6A, the Cibolo Steel Knights, who are Perfect 8-0, taking on their, their hated rivals, the Converse Judson Rockets, who are sitting there at a kind of a strange 4-4 four and four record. Um, DCTF Computer has this game as a 15-point difference in the favor of the Knights. Uh, the wheel has spoken. Mike will go first this time. Hudson will go second, and I'm in the trail. So this might not be very known to you guys, even though we talk about this stuff all the time. Steel is one of my favorite programs in the state. I think that when they do it correctly, they have an incredible uniform, um, an incredible logo. I mean, they have put out some like incredible, I've said incredible a lot. They've put out some fantastic talent over the years. I mean, big time. Caden Stearns, J- uh, Jalen Jones, Malcolm Brown, guys like that. I mean, they are just, I, I don't know. I love that program to death. Um, Judson, the more traditional program, and and they've got their own set of weapons, but they've struggled this year at times. And and I think early on when we saw them against uh, Ty Hawkins, uh, Johnson, was it yes. Johnson, Johnson in the game? Johnson. It was like, wow, okay, they're pretty good. Um, but, you know, they've, they've kind of proven that they're, they're still having those struggles that um, they've been having uh, in the last couple of years. I really like uh, Chad Warner, the steel quarterback, uh, a 2025 guy I saw a lot in seven-on-seven. Seven. Um, I think he's incredibly talented. And, you know, for years I thought that, Steel was a team that had athletes, but they preferred to play a very conservative style and run the ball quite a bit. And they're letting Chad Warner like air it out. Um, so I'm going to go with Steel in this game. Uh, I, I, I think they're just too talented. Do you, either of y'all remember what exactly happened in the um, in the uh, Judson East Central game? Because uh, I, I was about to ask you that. Why? So that was I, I'm pretty sure that they won in a blowout. I want to say it was like 40 something to nothing. And they lost due to an ineligible player. So while Judson struggled early, I do like how they've responded in district play um, with that result. And even though you have the ugly result against Clemens, who's not very good, they really put it on San Marcos before uh, they were able to get some late points. I, this is also just one of those matchups to where it's like a college rivalry game where you have to throw out the record books to a certain extent because we've seen that Judson has kind of, even though they aren't at the level to where, I guess, traditional Texas high school football fans remember them as, even in recent years, like, 
they've kind of dominated Steele. And last year's Judson team, which we all acknowledge is probably the worst one since the Kennedy administration. Yeah. Like, they still, uh, I think, lost to Steele on, like, a last-second touchdown. Mm-hmm. So, I'm picking Steele. I think that they're very clearly, on paper, the better team. I think a potential dark horse to make some, you know, regional title noise. Like, I, I think they're that good. But I don't have a ton of confidence just because in this matchup – you know, like if I was truly, uh, if there were true Texas high school football spreads, I'd probably take Judson in the 15 points just because I think it's going to end up being a closer game than people think. But again, taking steel. Yeah. So I've actually got some experience with this game. When I was in college, um, Hunter Holmes, a friend of the show, uh, high school coach in Colorado right now, when he was still playing, um, he and I, took a weekend and drove down to San Antonio and watched this game on a Friday night. And we got there too late um, to get tickets. They had sold out. So we just parked – it was at Linhoff, which is where Cibolo Steel and Shirts Clements play. Way more smaller facility that's just kind of right on top of you on the field. We, we pulled up my old Tahoe up to the fence – sat on top of the car and just watched it from outside the stadium. Cause it was, I mean, it was just jam packed people around the fence line. I say all that to say it's a crazy rivalry that a lot of people care about. You can kind of throw out records, spreads, all that, and, and just people strap up and just play. And so, um, yeah, it, I think Cibolo steals the much better team in this game. I, I think the DCTF computer, 15 points is, is a little much. I think it'll be closer than that. Tep and Step podcast actually thinks that Cibolo Steel may just roll in this game. And I guess that could happen. Um, you know, Judson is just kind of a weird case this year where they've got some all right looking games are kind of on the right track, but then they beat Midland Legacy, who at one point we would have thought that'd be a sexy win. Turns out that win is not as good as we <laughs> I think the Shirts Clemens one is the one where it's like, oh, are, are you guys okay? 27 right. to 24, I think. Exactly. And, and you know, so it's it's hard to really tell who they are. I think they're just okay. You know, they'll make the playoffs, and that's about it. So uh, really like Chad Warner, Mike, great, great point on your part. We've talked about him a couple times on the show. He threw for over 1,100 yards in non-district play, and – has just been really efficient this year. So I look for him to continue on that that hot streak and get the Knights to a perfect 9-0 after this weekend. All right. So I guess, uh, let's see. So we all pick Steel in that game. Okay. All right, moving on to our final game of the slate, game number five, our quote-unquote small school game of the week. Uh, this one's fun for Huddy Buddy as we 7.30 p.m. Friday We'll go to the greater Southeast Texas area to Lumberton's Raider Stadium as the Little Cypress Mauriceville Bears, who are five and three, um, take on the number seven team in 4A Division One, a team in the middle of a renaissance season, the great Lumberton Raiders, who are seven and one, and enter this game as a nine point favorite, according to the DCTF computer. Um, like I said, this gives Hudson a chance to kind of showcase another Southeast Texas program for the show. We already touched on LCM earlier this year. Um, and, and I'd love to kind of hear what Hudson's thoughts are on Lumberton, both the program and just 
kind of the town in the area itself. Yeah. Can so, I open? Yeah. Can I open it up first before we? Yeah. Get so the wheel's spoken. Mike will go first. I'll go second, and then Hudson will be in the trail. But I'd really just kind of like to hear Hudson's thoughts on Lumberton. And I know Mike has some familiarity with Lumberton, oddly enough, as well. But Lumberton, when guy says that they are in a renaissance as a program, like we cannot give. I think James Reyes, the coach at Lumberton enough credit for what he's done with this program. So right now they are seven and one on the year. If the season just stopped right now, this would be the fifth best result in Lumberton program history since 1966. They've only had four other seasons with seven or more wins, right? So truly in historical context, probably one of their best years, they have an absolute stud in the 2024 class in Brock Jackson, who's an edge, I think, that maybe could even get a Texas look, um, that caliber of player. Their only loss is to St. Thomas, who's probably the second best private school team um, in Texas this year. They've been really good. Um, I think with a win, they probably would lock up their first ever outright district title. So again, really, um, really impressive stuff with what the Raiders have done this season. And there are a lot of expectations for them as well. This isn't out of the blue. I know DCTF had them very highly ranked to start the season, but they're going against a little Cypress Mauriceville team that has kind of responded after a couple of uh, early season losses. Um, what you say about Lumberton makes me a bit nervous because it's like just history doesn't really matter in a given season, but it also teams that haven't been there. It's like it it makes me worry about them a little bit. However, I look at this LCM and I know that after they played a really close game against West Orange Stark that, you know, we thought, okay, this, this could be a renaissance season for them, but a loss to Houston Kincaid and then they lost a Vider, and that alone gets you uh, gets you uh, disqualified in my picks. So, um, and Hudson is correct. I once my, I left my teenage heart in uh, Lumberton with a girl down there uh, that I knew. So um, I'm <laughs> and she was a Raider at. Uh, so I am going to roll with uh, the Raiders in this one. I totally forgot about that aspect of this because I've heard the stories about that. I, that went, funny. I, I went to her wedding in Lumberton, so I've been yes. there many times. Yeah, so the DCTF capsule, actually, I don't know who it was. I know Step, Ish, Tapper. I know it's kind of just everybody, all hands on deck, right, the capsules. But they were pretty spot on. The first sentence is the Raiders are poised for a leap forward in 2022 with 15 starters returning from a playoff squad. And that playoff squad last year was a 5-5 five and five team. You look at the year before that, in the COVID season, they were 2-6. and six. 2019, they were 7-4, and four, which is a pretty good, you know, high watermark for them, and 6-6 six and six the year before that in 2018. So, you know, an average program at best. But there were, there were high thoughts about them heading into 2022, and they've lived up to it so far. Um, I'd be curious to see what Hudson's thoughts are on that St. Thomas loss. I know he kind of mentioned it, but I don't know anything about that St. Thomas team this year. Um, it, it, it's a revamped St. Thomas staff. They've gotten in a lot of prospects that are young. So it's okay. going to be St. Thomas and um, and Parrish for the TAP state title, unless Austin Regents has something to say about it. But I only have like 20 – words to show that I can allocate towards private schools. So right. Well yeah, and I found it interesting that both LCM and Lumberton have lost to those pesky Houston private schools that Hudson 
love so much. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, we talked really highly of LCM early in the year after their 11 and three season a year ago. They played West Orange Stark really tough and maybe and, one of the more fun not district games, and I, but they fell short. And I think we've kind of figured out that West Orange Stark, who has clinched a fourth place finish yes. in 4AD2, not exactly what we thought of them. Earlier. Yeah, that ended up being kind of Texas Notre Dame of 2016. <laughs> two, two really mediocre teams kind of just duking it out week one or two. I mean, there's week one for Texas Notre Dame. I think it's week two for these two, but uh, you know, we, we learn and sometimes we overreact, but all that being said, uh, I don't really know a ton about either of these teams as far as the players and the nitty gritty, but give me Lumberton at home. You know, I know Mike kind of thought or, or said that, Hey, if you've never been there before, that kind of gives you pause, but sometimes that can be really good for school and, when you're good, you're good, and you just kind of rally around it. So give me the Raiders in the middle of their renaissance. So we talked a little bit about the non-district results. Beating Hampshire Finette has probably turned into a much better uh, result than we were thinking, right? Because Hampshire Finette beats West Orange Stark head-to-head, right? Lumberton has a win over Hampshire Finette. The St. Thomas uh, loss. They have to go to Houston and, you know, it's a competitive game, but eventually the Eagles pull away. I'm not really going to fault them for that, right? Beating Nacogdoches 52 to 6, considering that's a Nacogdoches team that honestly is not their, nor- like, that's not um, a super bad program this year. They're, uh, I don't think their record would say it right, but that's a team that lost to Texas High by three points last week, right? It's a bigger school bigger program and it's a 5a so the fact that Lumberton drubbed them we just saw that Texas High kind of struggled with them they beat Tatum in a shootout they're drubbing the teams that they should like Bridge City and Splendora and I think the most important thing they beat Vider by 26 points a Vider team that beat LCM Mm -hmm. I I hate picking against Little Cypress Mauriceville because I think their coach Eric Peavy we saw what he did with that Beaumont Westbrook state finalist team I genuinely do think he's one of the better coaches in the state but with the way Lumberton is playing I think it'd be kind of silly not to pick what are your thoughts on just Lumberton the town growing up down there and all that like is that town that's just it's down there on the map and that's about it as far as your it's Liberty days and all that well it's well, like pretty well funded, everything considered. I think that they have a really intriguing, um, like tradition, I would say. And it's always a town that even when they were bad, they would support uh, the program. So I'm happy to see them having success. I remember in 2007, they had a wild year where I think they were like uh, co-district champions with two other schools and made it to the third or fourth round, which was uh, by far the best result in program history. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's very nice to see one of these programs taking their term when in general, Lumberton's kind of the last school in the area that you would think would be poised for one of these runs when, you know, West Orange Stark, Little Cypress, Mauriceville, Sillsby. Like, there, there's just a ton of talent in that area, and it's cool to see, um, I don't know, other programs kind of uh, rising with the tides instead of just getting buried by the traditional powers. Sure. So all of us pick Lumberton there, and that'll do it for the five-game slate. Um, Mike mentioned it earlier, and I think I kind of handed at it in the group text. There is a chance that – we maybe have serious reschedules. This Friday rain seems to be pretty gnarly. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of bummed because, like we said, it is such a good slate. Um, and last week, last week we had an elite slate. This is a really, really good one. Like there are a ton of games that we're not even getting to talk about. I'm worried about the rain. I'm a obviously we're all team war on weather, but I, I'm a little bit worried. Yeah, I am. I am too. I hate the rain. I hate standing out in the rain. I hate everything about it. So especially uh, rain when it starts to get cold. Yeah, it's counterintuitive to my father, who's like always like, well, we need the rain. And I'm like, you're not a farmer. What are you talking about? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, uh, before we get out of here, have, and we'll obviously do a big playoff preview. I'm starting to get the excitement for the playoffs coming back. Are there any state title picks that y'all have that you know for sure when we get to this playoff preview that you're going to change? Oh, I think I think things are all starting to kind of look sketchy. I, I don't think it's as a locked in as we guy, initially had everything. Guy, do you still love that uh, Denton Ryan state pick? No, no. And of course, the the year I decided to roll with <laughs> Ryan, they let me down. So you know, show, shows me you know like not ever giving them love again. But <laughs> uh, um, but I don't know if I'm like locked in on Longview either. Which is oh, weird because, like, you know, you hear all these things and, like, they're just rolling on people, but I'm not really sold on who they're rolling over. And I've talked to several other coaches who are like, yeah, they're, like, not that much bigger than what they've been in the past when a lot of people tell me they're, they're huge. And I'm like, eh. I mean, the thing with Longview is they're always going to be really physical, but they're not always just ginormous up front. Um Quarterback play has been kind of interesting the last couple of years. There's just some things I'm I'm, I'm kind of curious on, and maybe if I was to see him in person, it would totally change my opinion. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be a really fun playoff season. I don't think it's as chalky as I initially yeah. thought it was going to be. The, I, I think. The, sorry, Mike. Go ahead. I was gonna. I'm just looking through my old, our, our old picks from the beginning of the year. Um, I don't love my 6AD2 pick of uh, who did I have here? Uh, Southlake over Vandergrift, especially with Southlake losing Kate and Anderson for what seems like a significant period of time. Um, I, and I don't, I don't know that guy would love uh, Southlake over Pato. <laughs> Can I well, tell you all? Weird season for Pato too. New coaching now. They're not any good. They can't score. You know, yeah. it's just. For me, obviously, and I told, I said it on the podcast, but it was very stupid to get cute in 4AD2 when Carthage exists, right? And Hershey just wasn't able to keep it rolling without Antonio Wiley. Um, They're they're good. They're fine. They might even make the semifinals again with a Marion Peterson, but that's one that I wish I could have back. To me, one of the more interesting things is just this potential with 6AD2, I have no idea what's going to happen. Like, I genuinely have no clue. I, there's not a – I'm kind of talking myself into maybe Dripping Springs being a legit title contender. Like, I, I have no clue. Mike, what do what do scouts do? They find a way. Oh, yeah, they do. They do. <laughs> I genuinely cannot wait for that uh, playoff week to match up because uh, honestly, kind of wants the Scots to win. I'll be completely honest. Well, and the bummer is, uh, I think Steph reported today that again they're not going to do any AT and T games until oh. state. Um, but like Hudson has not been around for like a good 
uh, what was that guy when they lost to Lone Star? Was that round three? Uh, no, that was an area. No, that was that was a round. No, I think it was an area round game. Yeah, it's usually round two. I guess they all they used to do at AT and T. And man, yeah. the high. But watching a, a Scott's game with guy when there's like high stakes is uh, it's something different. Let me let me put it this way. I thought about this earlier this week. If they somehow, and I don't think they're going to, so do not take this as me like cashing in my chips. But if they were in a magical world to win six AD two, do you know how unbearable I would be and how much they would just hate me? Oh my gosh! Like, Can I be honest? I think you would need to lean into it, wrestling heel style, and go oh, yeah. like two weeks in a row. Yeah, like call me out on Twitter every single day. Say anybody who said that Highland Park only wins state titles because we, you know, Jimmy rigged the enrollment for five A. Look at us now. Like, all of that type of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I I think for a second time, we've shown that, you know, second alignment, we're, we're just fine in 6A. Now, there there does become a difference, but, yeah, I mean, they can compete. But, I, I, yeah, I think 6A D2 is going to be a lot of fun. Um, I think 4A D1, while you have China Springs sitting there, is going to be a lot of fun. But that, 4A is always fun. Uh, I, I think 4A D1 is probably – because Carthage exists in 4A D2 and – while the right side of the bracket is super fun, the Carthage existing is kind of like a uh, well, they are beating five A teams by four thousand points. So maybe <laughs> they are. Uh, the guy won't get this, but that's when they are the White Walkers. Like they are coming. Yes, they, they are inevitable. Um, yeah. There will be no little girl to uh, spoilers. Um, <laughs> there will be no girl to stab them in the stomach uh, oddly and you know vanquish them. He, can I mention one more game as well? How about Fort Worth, yeah, Fort Worth Arlington Heights is undefeated taking on Grapevine. Like, that rules. Arlington oh. Heights beating Colleyville Heritage stunned me, but it's also just one of those, I think, results that got us all excited about what the uh, Yellow Jackets might be able to do. I almost threw that game on the list. Uh, my great uncle was a, actually probably the greatest running back in Arlington Heights history. Um, played at TCU, was kind of one of the last great backs before the, the modern era for TCU. And so Heights doing all this, he and I have kind of connected over that this season and just talking about his days on the hill over there. And that Colleyville game was just a stunner for me. And I guess we'll see how they can hang with Grapevine. If they do that, like, shoot, why not? Go have some fun and go on the playoff run. But um, yeah. that'd be a hell of a story for Fort Worth ISD as a whole. And just for that community over there with Heights, who has kids that come from Como and all that. So, uh, that's a really cool story, and the fact that they beat Colleyville Heritage at Farrington was awesome uh, a couple weeks ago. So, anyway. correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Texas legend Blake Brockermeyer, Fort Worth Arlington Heights. I uh, I think so, right, Mike? Yeah, that, that is correct, and you can read all about that in the hit smash book, The Road to Texas. <laughs> the Road yeah. to MF in Texas. Let's yeah. Also, almost Texas legend and a pretty good Alabama player, Ashawn Robinson. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Took the Yellow Jackets to a state tournament in basketball. So what's uh, what's our schedules looking like for this week, fellas? I'll start um, Thursday night. I, I'm going to McKinney to see McKinney and Denton Geyer. Uh, McKinney, of course, home to Brian Jackson, uh, who I like a lot with the Texas offer at running back, and then Xavier Filsame, who uh, I think is eventually going to be a Texas offer in the secondary. 
Um, and then they've got a couple of other guys that are that are really fun as well at, at the beautiful McKinney ISD Stadium um, and just a, a delightful media people to work with. Um, and, of course, they're playing Geyer, who is uh, loaded. And yeah, they've been kind of doing their thing. And they've had a couple of clunkers, but they've won their clunkers. And uh, that's what you got to do. So uh, Jackson Arnold, Peyton Bowen, Eli Bowen, our personal favorite of this podcast is uh, little brother Eli Bowen, who – uh, just if you throw it in his zip code, he's intercepting that. And, um, you know, Ryan Yates, a lot of guys to like for for Geyer as well. So I'm excited. It's been, I would say, like a bad season for my games. And that's just kind of covering recruiting is, you know, I I was on the phone with Matt Stepp the other night. And he was like, hey, are we still going to go to Kilgore and Chapel Hill next week? And I was like, I'd love to. But there's nobody in that game for me to see. So, um you know, I got to go pick the games. I got to go see guys. In. But this is one I'm I'm excited about. I do think Geyer will handle it pretty well. But I, I think McKinney's been playing better, uh, especially with Keldrick Luster quarterback. And then Friday, Duncanville DeSoto, which we talked about kind of at length. I'll go second. Uh, Shallows and Matt Step. I will be joining him next Friday for the Kilgore Chapel Hill game. Really excited about that. But for this week, um, Thursday, I will be with Mike. And Matt Stepp uh, and several other of our friends at at the beautiful McKinney ISD Stadium uh, for the Geyer McKinney Showdown. Really excited to see our friend Coach Shavers and uh, all the all the lovely DFW talent that will be in that game. Um, and then Friday night, a uh, really fun game in five A Division two, or no, that's actually five A D one District five five A D one. As the Dallas WTY Longhorns will be making the short trip north to face off with the Carrollton Newman Smith Trojans. And you might say, well, guy, why are you going to that game? Well, a lot of playoff implications here. I think if you win this game, you've got a chance to lock in that fourth spot for a playoff seed. Um, and then on top of that, WTY's got some really fun uh, FCS Low tier FBS and, and D two type talent. Really like the quarterback Jaden Sisk over there. Uh, I think he's kind of a sleeper gunslinger in the twenty twenty yeah let's see twenty twenty three class. Um, and then they've got several fun DBs as well. So fun DISD story there. And shout outs to Newman Smith as well. It's it's one of their best seasons in probably ten to twelve years. So uh, we'll do that. And then Saturday. Um, I will be going to my first game in College Station ever uh, to watch Ole Miss and Texas A&M with a buddy that I grew up with here um, in Highland Park, who's an Ole Miss grad. Six months ago, he kind of threw out this idea at me, hey, would you go to me to that game? And I was like, yeah. And then I never thought about it again. And last week he hit me up and he's like, I kind of forgot about this myself, but would you be down to go? And I was like, yeah, let's find a ticket. We found pretty reasonable tickets and we're going to drive down on Saturday and I'll be an honorary, uh, honorary rebel for the day. So we'll see. Uh, yeah. Ticket price is not exactly uh, through the roof right now. For that. No, no, this was before Ole Miss lost as well, but uh, I wouldn't mind going kind of that, you know, uh, dogpiling on the A&M uh, scuttlebutt right now. So also, before I get into my schedule, I would be remiss if I didn't say you will also be seeing Hall of Fame listener of this show, Charles Daniels' son, Isaiah, I believe, yes. for Newman Smith. Yep. Yeah, he actually so. tweeted at me today and said he'll see me there. So, uh, I mean, it's really fun. I, Newman Smith is a, is a program that has some pride that I don't think people really realize. And it's been a while since they've been 
anything decent. It's been some dark years. So they've been competitive to like good. They've been competitive. Yeah. And um Coach Boone's done a really good job over there. So when I was a when I was a kid, Newman Smith, I wouldn't say it was a power, but they were always a pretty good team. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they just kind of descended. Uh, all of Carrollton ISD kind of descended into the darkness uh, for a while. But Newman Smith looks like they may be coming out of it a little bit. So, uh, Coach Boone, by the way, part of the Coach Shavers coaching tree. So, oh, really? Yeah, he uh, he was at McKinney before he took the Newman Smith job. Okay. Well, and, and remember, speaking of Carrollton ISD, Oral Turner was had its day, too, when Tim Beck was the coach there. Yeah. So there's been some times where Carrollton ISD has been all right. It's just been a while. So good for them. Um, One thing before I get into my schedule, I'd also like to say, one of my favorite recruits all time just committed to Stephen F. Austin and Taylor athlete Jarvis Anderson. Y'all probably remember me talking about Jarvis mm-hmm. earlier this season. Um, completely deaf athlete, one of the truly best stories. They've been trying to find a spot for him. Awesome that Coach Carthel and SFA uh, gave him a spot. I think he's going to be awesome at the next level and really one of the more inspiring athletes I think that we've come across. Competed and did very well at the Deaf Olympics uh, in Brazil. Wasn't able to compete at this UIL state track meet, so I'm excited to see that um, he's finding a spot because uh, he's just been fantastic for a Taylor program. That's kind of on the rise with Brandon Houston as as the coach. And I don't know, just very uh, exciting story and I'm pumped for him. Uh, So I just want to give him a little bit of a shout out on the state of recruiting. Loose plan is Umbalatascacita North shore on Thursday. If the drive with the rain is a little bad, I might see if there's something local. And then Friday with the rain, you know, I'm thinking about doing Byron Nelson, South Lake Carroll, which we probably could have added to the uh, picks. Do we want to do, do just a bonus on? Yeah, it's funny. I actually thought about that Hudson because two weeks ago when we last reconvened, um, I mentioned that that was, that would be a lock-in game for probably you and I had Caden Anderson not got hurt. Yeah, I mean, His outlook is still kind of up in the air. I don't know if he's going to come back at any point soon. Don't really I would him, pick so. Nelson if we're doing bonus. I'm curious yeah. what y'all would pick. Because there I, is I, an element I, of beat the man. But, no, you know. I, I would pick Nelson. I, I, yeah. I just think kind of just the Billy Badasses this year. Yeah. Would same. you pick Nelson too, Mike? Yeah, I'd be on Nelson. Okay, since we all three picked it, we might as well do a bonus. Let's, let's, let's throw it in. I actually thought about that this week. Because so. – Okay, we were just talking about the 6A title picture. Is it crazy to think that Byron Nelson might legitimate? Like, is that too far? Boy, if you told me that like in 2017 or 2018, <laughs> I'd say you're you're just crazy. But I, I mean, mean well, I think it's Byron Nelson. I've mentioned it many times when we've gushed over our love for Byron Nelson. But I was at the game last year when they played Geyer, and they pushed Geyer to the limit in that game. Mm-hmm. And, and with a lot of sophomores on that team. So those guys are a year older now. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, yeah, I love everything about Byron Nelson. I mean, just like they were one and nine in 2019. Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's a crazy turnaround. And it's not that they're just playing offense this year like they were yeah, last year. Yeah. They have a really good defense. So I don't know, man. Like, I, I think 
without Kane Anderson, that's an easier pick for me. And then big picture, yeah, why not run the table? Like it's funny the uh, the game I always reference right before Quinn decommitted that I went out there and saw him and had the video of him scoring and giving me the hook of and everything was against Byron Nelson, and they were about as hapless of a team as as I had ever seen at that point. Fifty seven twenty one final in that game. Yeah, the only the only difference was. Uh, Earlier in the year, I had seen Quinn against like Fossil Ridge, and I think Quinn was out by halftime. But uh, that was uh, I saw him against two bad teams that year. But yeah, to think of how far Byron Nelson's come, and we've talked about them a lot this year. So, does anybody have their DCTF magazine with them handily? Do we know? I think Nelson is a six A D two team, correct? Uh, they went D2 last year. Um, I, th- I thought that. I know guys looking it up right now, but. The fact that they beat Keller 45 to 17 too, and that's a Keller team that nearly knocked off South Lake. Ooh, very, very intrigued with them. With obviously, I think the best result on the year, other than the Keller game, being the fact that they put 79 on Denton Braswell. Who yeah, so they would be bench. a log for D2. Okay. And I think that's interesting because. I think the winner-loser of this game matters for when they would play Denton Geyer. And I think that would matter then along the lines of Highland Park as well, potentially, depending on how all that goes in that bracket. So they they would be kind of in that front Region 1, D2 bracket. So uh, It always comes back to the Scotties. (laughs) You know, even when we're not there, we're still there, baby. So. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. All right, we got to wrap this up. All right. Well, uh, yeah, no, that's uh, it's been good. All right, good to be back with you, fellas. Good to be back with the listeners. Uh, I am a little, I have been a little sad boy about the season. Just hasn't been as good as I thought it might be. But playoffs are coming. That's a new season. Uh, that's when the storylines really crank up. And I do think the fact that, like we've talked about, there is a lot of, there are a lot of question marks uh, lends to what could be a very exciting playoff season. So uh, we'll be, uh, we'll of course be talking about that in the weeks to come. Uh, we appreciate all you guys for listening. We appreciate the feedback and the follow-up on the show for Hudson Standish and Guy Frazier. I'm Mike Roach, and we will see you next week.